Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Friday, February 18th. We begin with an update on the volatile situation unfolding in Ottawa, the head of the long weekend where police have begun arresting protesters in the downtown core. We get the latest from Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Next, it's our weekly conversation with Mayor Jyoti Gondek. The mayor explains the decision this week by City Council to get in line with the provincial government's plan and timeline to remove the masking mandate for the City of Calgary. Then we head stateside for an update on the stories making headlines south of the border. This week, a look at the continuing tension between Russia and Ukraine and what role the United States will play should military force come into play. We speak with Jackson Prosco, Global News, Washington Bureau Chief. And finally, we wrap up our series focusing on the impact the pandemic has had on our mental health. This time out, we look at how owning a pet can actually be a stress reliever. And it is a very busy morning in our nation's capital as police are now moving in on protesters in Ottawa. With the latest details, we've reached Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block for an update on the current situation. And Mercedes, we did not have you scheduled on the program. And I'm, I'm pretty sure, thank you very much for taking the time, I'm pretty sure that you did not expect to be, uh, you know, doing what you're doing this morning. Well, I'd say I did. <laughs> But that's because I've been talking to police sources and watching this ramp up for days and it becoming increasingly clear that operations were imminent. Uh, We received numerous tips last night that police forces from other regions were on their way into the area, uh, including from a number of the tactical teams that I have sources on. Uh, When I started to hear that tactical teams from multiple jurisdictions were coming into Ottawa, um, that was a sign that this was expected to go down quickly. They want to do this before the long weekend, although it, it could take more than one day. But I can tell you um, they are making arrests. We are seeing tow trucks pull up. The police have uh, basically undertook one significant operation this morning, uh, which happened around 8 a.m. We're now waiting for them to move into a second location. Um, I won't disclose that location on the radio because we don't broadcast police movements um, as they're happening in in this particular situation. In particular, uh, there is concern it could be very volatile. Uh, But you can't miss the police when they move. You'll be able to see them um, on a number of platforms, and, and certainly the protesters can see them. They're wearing bright yellow and green vests. Um, there are significant numbers of police tactical members who are out. They have their rifles out. Um, they're wearing balaclavas. I've seen them so far uh, from around Toronto. Uh, I've seen RCMP. I've seen Ottawa. And that's just at that, <clears throat> sorry, first location. My voice is kind of going because it's so cold here. <laughs> uh, it's a, a very challenging day for this kind of a police operation. Um, very, very cold high winds, and we received a significant snow dump last night. Um, and right now we are watching, actually, the protesters try to create what looks like some kind of a snow barricade or a snow fort. Uh, we're not sure what they're doing there, but we have watched trucks repositioning, preparing um, a few left, very few, most are still here, uh, but the police are preparing to move in on another objective shortly, uh, and, and we are watching that very closely, and it is quite actually close to our office. It's less than a block away. So clearly, Mercedes, protesters are not leaving on their own accord. We've seen the perimeters set up. I've heard friends say that, you know, they have to go through multiple checkpoints to get through. And obviously, with the police presence, they're worried something like what happened in Coots could turn up in Ottawa with a small faction, you know, maybe heavily armed there. You never know. 
Yeah, there are concerns about firearms, and I can tell you that from multiple security sources. There is a belief that there are likely to be firearms in some of the vehicles. That doesn't mean they believe that they will be used um, or that they were brought with the intention of use, but they believe that that is the case. And I can tell you that the police officers who are working on this, I've uh, spoken to a number of them, and, and that is what they've been briefed on. Um, further to that, we know that RCMP ERT is here, uh, the emergency tactical team uh, for the RCMP. They are experts in weapons. Um, so they are often brought in when there are serious weapons concerns. Um, and, and they're here, and I can tell you they're ready to go. Um, so there is absolutely concern about that. And yesterday I spoke to the public safety minister, and for the first time he made a direct link between Coots and Ottawa and said that one of the individuals who was arrested and charged with a weapons offence and mischief at Coots had actually been present in Ottawa before they were talking about communication between the groups or support. Um, but at least one of the people who was arrested at Coots um, was actually in Ottawa just a few days before that. And that has raised concerns uh, from what I'm being told in the intelligence and security community about just uh, the level of sophistication, the level of collaboration, um, and of course the concern that one of the um, individuals who identifies with one of these groups that has some relatively extremist views, who's ex-military, is here in Ottawa. Um, and there were patches associated with his group that were found on the body armor um, of the individuals who were arrested at Coops. Well, you know, again, appreciate your time this morning, super last minute, as you are in the thick of things right now. Thank you so much for the update, Mercedes. Thanks for having me. That is Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. The city masking bylaw will now end when provincial health measures are lifted. And we've got some details on that and lots more. Everything going on in the city of Calgary and with city council decisions through the last few days. We're joined by Mayor Jyoti Gondek this morning. Good morning, Madam Mayor. Good morning, Sue. How are you? Uh, well, I am live from my COVID cave uh, right now this morning. Oh, no. Yes, unfortunately so, but it is the way of life these days. But lots going on at City Hall, and uh, we certainly heard uh, this week that it looks like City Council has agreed that once the province lifts the masking bylaw, that's what will happen in the city as well, correct? Yeah, it was a pretty um, complex debate, and there were several points of voting. So if you don't mind, I can unpack it for you. Please. All right, so the first um, thing that came forward was the original recommendation, which was obviously to receive the information for the corporate record. Point two was that I would reach out to the Chief Medical Officer of Health and ask for the data on which she determined that we should lift the restrictions. And then a point three was added, which was to vote on an amendment to the existing masking bylaw. That was brought by Councillor McLean, and he wished to make two changes. Number one, in our mandate, it says that only kids under the age of two don't need a mask. But as we know, the province changed that on February the 14th. So we needed to bring that in line with the province. Second point was that our mandate did not have an expiry date, if you will. And so Councillor McLean wanted it to be March the 1st, thinking that that's when it would be lifted by the province. Uh, we had some commentary from Councillor Sharp, who very correctly pointed out if that's not the date, if the province deems that it needs to be longer, then we're out of step. Hmm. So at that point, Councillor Chabot brought in an amendment to the amendment. This is where things get all fuzzy. There's an amendment to the amendment that we should perhaps try doing this at the same time as the province, whenever that happens to be. Then it was brought forward by Councillor Wynas that we should do this until March the 31st to give us some time to see what happens when it's lifted provincially. In the end, through a series of votes, 
we voted down March 1st, we voted down March 31st, and we came to an agreement that it should be lifted in tandem with whenever the province decides. One one of the uh, men, uh, mentions there, as you were laying it out, uh, Mayor Gondek, was the request for the provincial COVID data that is being used to lift restrictions and the reasoning behind it. Has that been provided, or where are we at with, with, with getting that data for the city? Well, first we had to vote on whether that was something that council wished to do, and when that vote went through on Tuesday, uh, we have sent a request to the province, and we'll see if that request is honoured. So still waiting for that then, obviously, no word when that might come in to us. Yeah, and you know what? We're not really going to hold our breath. It was um, it was hopeful, but we'll see if it actually um, gets addressed. Is the does the city have? Is there a municipal power to to then you know through all what you said? Is there a municipal power to bring a, a masking mandate back in? Should you know things go sideways again, or what does that look like down the road potentially? Yeah, we always have that ability, and it was that ability that really allowed the province to not bring in anything for the first two years of the pandemic. Um, They were happy at that time to leave it with municipalities. As a matter of fact, they very openly said, it is up to every municipality to judge what's in the best interest of their citizens, and we will leave it to them. So, yes, we have that ability, but the debate has become so polarizing. I don't know that our city can get through another debate like that. Yeah. I want to focus on something that was the topic of conversation around this time last year with your predecessor, Mayor Nahed Nenshi, and that was the Calgary Stampede. Now, you know, the stampede is on the horizon. I'm just wondering, and we're hearing that the Chucks are going to come back. And in fact, yesterday on the program, we did a, a segment about the show bands having rehearsals. Uh, just how important is the greatest outdoor show on earth to our economy as a city? And, uh, you know, how important would it be to, to see it come back 100%? Well, the Calgary Stampede organization is one that has deep roots in our city, as we all know. But we tend to only talk about the 10-day festival there's so much more to Stampede. Like the level of volunteerism that exists in that organization is unparalleled anywhere else. Um, Those folks are out doing lots of different community activities throughout the year. Um, There is a big push and focus on the 10-day festival because it does draw in a lot of tourism. It does provide a lot of employment opportunities, and it's absolutely a celebration of our city. But, you know, I think we need to remember that that's one component of all the work they do all year round. And it is significant and it does add to our reputation globally. Um, but I think we need to consider the fact that they have a performing arts school and this organization, you know, gets kids ready for life in the future with the show band. It's just it's a bigger institution than a 10 day festival. Well, then I just want to ask you quickly, uh, federal government announcing $750 million top-up for transit funding. Uh, Will the the city get involved and and try to make sure that gets matched by the province? Oh, absolutely. We we need that money. We need to make sure that people are able to access transit and we can keep operating. There's a condition that housing be included, so we will work with our provincial partners and definitely advocate for that. Good stuff. Thank you very much, Madam Mayor. Thank you so much. Have a lovely family day weekend, everyone. You as well. That is Mayor Jyoti Gondak. Tensions between the U.S. and Russia remain high as Russian troops continue to build on their border with Ukraine. Could we be on the verge of a global conflict? It's been going on for some time now with the latest details on this and headlines stateside. We're checking in with Global News, Washington Bureau Chief Jackson Prosco. Morning, Jackson. How are you? 
Good morning. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you. Okay, let's start with the situation in Eastern Europe, latest uh, with Russia and Ukraine at the border there. And, and we'll talk about, you know, how the U.S. are being possibly involved in this too at now. But what's going on there? Yeah, I mean, it certainly seems to be escalating almost by the hour here with uh, revised troop estimates coming out this morning of nearly 190,000 Russian troops in and around Ukraine. Uh, we know that uh, uh, over the weekend, Russia is going to be continuing with these uh, nuclear uh, military exercises. The military drills continue. And yesterday, I think we got this really sort of blunt assessment from the Americans where the Secretary of State sort of came out and laid out step by step uh, how an invasion might take place and how Russia might really work to create a false pretext for an invasion whether that is in the form of a fake terrorist attack or the use of chemical weapons or some other means, uh, the claims of genocide, for example. And we're already seeing some of those things come to fruition. So I think it's a pretty sort of ominous and worrying situation. It's interesting. Yes, I, I uh, did see Anthony Blinken. Anthony Blinken, Anthony Blinken, by the way, there's no H. I figured that out. Uh, United States Secretary of uh, State. It's interesting to me because he, the, the way he was laying these things out, it's like we've seen this story so many times, Jackson. He was giving all the scenarios that could happen. And you're thinking, we've seen this. So the world is ready. But the, the question is, how far would the U.S. take, uh, you know, helping out the Ukraine? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, part of what they're doing right now, just by revealing all this information, is actually part of the strategy to help Ukraine. It's sort of a, an unusual strategy. The U.S. and its allies haven't tried this before, but it's a way to deter Russia. So they think uh, it seems to be working, potentially, uh, sort of telegraphing their next moves. You know, the U.S. has made it clear, and I think NATO allies are, are universal in this regard, that they would not send troops into Ukraine to directly fight Russia if uh, uh, if Russia were to invade. But they're certainly st uh, standing strong and steadfast with NATO allies. And we're seeing, you know, uh, thousands and thousands of U.S. troops sent to Poland, for example, as a deterrent to Russia. Uh, we're seeing the U.K. send troops into Lithuania. And it's, it's like that uh, all across Europe right now. So I think if Vladimir Putin's goal was to perhaps expose weaknesses or fractures within NATO, he's actually done the opposite. And he has strengthened NATO. And just this morning, we're actually learning of a deal uh, between the U.S. and Poland where the U.S. is actually going to sell Poland hundreds and hundreds of tanks. Interesting, Jackson. And, but is there much appetite for soldiers? Uh, you know, you touched on it, but to go in at all, do they want, you know, do, do Americans want more boots on the ground in yet another conflict? No, I don't think so. I think people are comfortable generally with the idea of boots on the ground in Europe to support NATO and the NATO alliance. But no, I think, you know, because the U.S. is so steadfast uh, um, about not going directly into Ukraine, they've even made it clear that that's why they want American citizens to leave now while it's still possible, because they say, you know, there is no scenario in which uh, American military would be going in to rescue Americans in Ukraine like we saw in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. Interesting time, as we've uh, seen uh, President Joe Biden, not with the greatest ratings of any president over the past, uh, you know, several months. So I'm wondering if, if, if from uh, President Biden's stance, getting involved uh, has to be a real decision whether or not it could be good or, or bad for his approvals. Yeah, I actually don't think he's making the calculation based on that. I think he's making the calculation based on American obligations to NATO alliance and sort of protecting the, the post-World War II international order that's out there. That's really what it comes down to. Uh, in fact, in his comments this week uh, during the speech he gave, Biden was pretty clear that if there is a war, if there is a Russian invasion, Americans will not emerge unscathed. They will feel that uh, at home in the, in the form of, you know, for example, higher fuel prices. Uh, there's some speculation that inflation could reach 10 percent if there's a war. So uh, by no means is this a popular decision, but it is what the U.S. feels it has to do. 
Jackson, let's change gears a little bit and talk about uh, obviously one of the biggest stories in Canada right now, and it has a, a little bit of a, a trickle down into the U.S. because we're hearing that with the uh, the Canadian trucker protests, particularly the one in Ottawa that still remains there, it looks like they're going in and doing some action today. And from what we understand, conservative media in the U.S. is kind of inciting or, or, you know, there's been funding definitely we know that coming out of the u.s how's it from your side of the border what does it look like and how how much are people talking about it yeah i mean if you are looking at conservative media like fox news they're essentially cheering this on and saying it's time for something similar to happen in the united states they're they're not holding back in in that sort of thing uh they're really portraying the truckers strictly as uh freedom fighters strictly as truckers not sort of talking about the broader elements no mention of you know the the initial claims of some of those involved in the group that they wanted to overthrow the government none of that stuff gets involved and so really i think the way it is being portrayed is not so much a telling of the nuance of what's happening in Canada, it's looking at it from the American perspective and trying to bring a similar protest movement to the U.S. Uh, I know there were plans to try and recreate the convoy to disrupt the Super Bowl last weekend, and it didn't materialize. They couldn't get organized. And then there was talk of uh, doing it to uh, interfere with the State of the Union on March 1st, and now that is off because it's not being organized. So it's, it's kind of a strange thing in that it's almost aspirational at this point, but there's certainly a lot of talk about it. You know, Jackson, where it does feel good to not lead every conversation when we have uh, time with you on a Friday with COVID, <laughs> we still have to address it because it's still very much an issue. And I'm, I'm reading in some estimates the deaths, total deaths uh, at around that 950,000 mark. And you bring in us, uh, bring, uh, brought us details about just dismal daily deaths over the past few weeks. Has that changed? Yeah, you know, it really hasn't changed. I mean, that, that's always a lagging indicator, something that lags behind. And I think, you know, the U.S. is still on, on track to hit the one million death mark here uh, within the next three or four weeks. I mean, that is absolutely astonishing when you think that this is the country that really developed and pushed the vaccines and yet couldn't convince its own citizens to take them. Uh, it is it is sad and it is tragic. I think if there's uh, a bright spot in all this, it's that the overall numbers, as they are in Canada, are coming down rapidly. You're seeing a lot of the restrictions that were left lifted, although there weren't really many restrictions to begin with. But, uh, you know, here in Washington, D.C., for example, uh, vaccine passports are now gone. And by the end of the month, the indoor mask mandates will be gone. And this was one of the final jurisdictions that still had either of those steps. So there is a sense that uh, even if it's not over, perhaps there is a reprieve coming into the spring and summer. Jackson, speaking of gone, gone but not forgotten, certainly still talking about Donald Trump. And uh, I saw yesterday that uh, the New York Attorney General is now going to be able to question Donald Trump and two of his kids in a civil inquiry into his business practices. Boy, he still uh, has a, a lot of name power in the U.S. at this point, doesn't he? He does. And, he, you know, he still has a firm grip over Republican voters, uh, although not as firm as it once was. And so, uh, you know, there was sort of long speculation after he lost the 2020 election that Republicans might sort of uh, hang on his coattails through the 2022 midterms. And then you might actually see a bit of an internal struggle as to who the candidate might be in 2024. Uh, I think that's still very much on the table. And I think one of the big factors is going to be the outcome of, of investigations like the one in New York right now. And remember, there are multiple concurrent investigations in to all sorts of facets of Trump's administration, his private life, his business. And I think those things could potentially impact his comeback chances. Jackson, thanks so much for your time this morning. We appreciate it. Have a, have a great weekend. Have a great weekend. That is Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. In the final installment of our 2022 health series, focusing on mental health and the impact the pandemic has had on our mental health, we're joined by 980 CKNW contributor and host Raji Sohal, who explores the impact pets have on our overall stress levels. Sit in. Stand. Good boy. We're going to go say hi? Okay. 
Let's go. Good boy. Hi, boy. Hello. It's hard to pick out that we're hearing a big dog get up and move across the room because he's that well behaved. Zen is a three-year-old black Labrador golden retriever cross, and he's the first accredited facility dog dedicated to wellness in a BC police department. He's been trained over two years by the Pacific Assistance Dog Society to work full-time with his handler, Constable Michelle McKnight, in the Vancouver Police Department to help employees cope with the trauma they witness and the stress they experience on the job. Oh, Yeah, so this is our, this is our guy. Uh, Zen is here to uh, essentially welcome employees at the start of their day. And we also attend to do mental health training. We walk around the building um, into units and into offices to um, say hello, share a little dog love, as I like to say, and and generally brighten people's days. And um, I've said this before, but if I had a a penny for every time someone said oh my gosh that dog is so calm he's it's it's made my day to see him i would be a rich woman because he really does change the atmosphere and the environment when he arrives into an office people um become softer they are immediately smiling they are engaged with him they want to uh talk with him and sometimes they get on the floor with him so it's really it's really um a unique relationship with an animal uh, is very therapeutic. It lowers people's blood pressure. It lowers their uh, breathing rate. It uh, reduces anxiety and it allows people to make a connection with another living being, being the dog, uh, and allows people to connect with their emotions more easily as well. Constable Michelle McKnight says that often after seeing Zen, employees feel ready to open up about how they're feeling. Zen is like an emotional icebreaker, she says. And that comes as no surprise to psychologist and dog expert Stanley Corin. He says the therapeutic effect of dogs is well traced by researchers. Uh, they were able to show that when you pet a familiar and friendly dog, uh, your uh, breathing becomes more regular, your your heart rate slows down, your blood pressure is reduced. And more recently, we've been able to show that uh, stress hormones, the corticosteroids, uh, are reduced in your blood. And that's all from uh, petting a dog. And these are very much the kinds of effects which you get from administrating, administering a, uh, a drug like Prozac, except that Prozac takes uh, four to six weeks to cut in and petting a dog takes 30 seconds to a minute to cut in. Dr. Stanley Corin said that a facility dog can be helpful because dogs will show affection to anyone, no matter what kind of a day they're having. There is, after all, a reason why dogs are known as man's or woman's best friend. The dog provides um, what um, the uh, psychologist Carl Rogers called unconditional positive regard. So whether you're happy or sad or whatever else, dogs are these this incredibly forgiving kind of a thing. And that was one of the reasons why in many, many um, instances, um, combat troops would keep a mascot dog. And, and the one of the things which they would do is 
is when people were under stress, um, like before an attack or something like that, before a battle, uh, or when they were injured, sort of in the hospital area, they would bring in the dog. People seemed to respond. They seemed to feel better and, and, and talk more. Sit in. Stand. Good boy. We're going to go say hi? Okay. Let's go. Good boy. Atta boy. Hello. Animal-assisted therapy is working at the Vancouver Police Department, and the positive impact of having a dog helps so many people with their mental health. Here's hoping this contributor can persuade her household it's time to adopt a dog sometime soon, too. Fingers crossed. I'm Raji Sohal for 980 CKNW. 7.15, and you know what, Sue? I, I think that for me, there's, there's a few things at play here. And, and, and it's not so much that you're going to be just relaxing because that pet is with you, but the different things it'll do, you know, our Dave McIver, who's off today, Dave, he got a dog, his name is Rocket, I believe, is that That's right, right yep. Um, and I think that, you know, the stress relief for him is being forced to walk. Not that he's not a physically active guy, but those days, particularly with our hours, for example, or you're busy with family, you have to stop everything and take that dog around the yeah. block. So you're getting some fresh air. It's so true. There's just, you know, pets as a whole, but dogs are, are a different thing for sure. They're always there for you, right? They don't talk back to you. <laughs> they're the one person slash animal. You know, we treat them as people when they're in our family, but they will sit and listen to you no matter what. They'll, they'll let you cry with them. And it's just, it really does. It's a big stress reliever to have a pet and dogs particularly. <laughs> Cats, they just kind of do their own thing, but dogs, they will let you be there with them and, and just kind of, I don't know, they're, they're, they're really a, an amazing animal, aren't they? Well, and I think, yeah, we're shining the spotlight maybe on the, our canine friends, but yeah, uh, to your point, you know, that love and that attention, what it does, I think, uh, to, to a certain extent, is it takes you out of, you know, not only out of your head, but you, you're responsible for something else. Mm-hmm. So it takes yeah. your mind off. And whether or not it's the, the cleaning of that fish tank or even when it comes to that cat, uh, you know, uh, using the laser pointer and you're doing something for, for another creature. You're doing something outside of your own realm. And, and, and that, that could be part of it. And we talked on, on this program even about meditation, right? Um, yeah, for sure. It, it does take you off of your routine and out of that uh, maybe circular motion in your head, that track you've been on because you have to care for another creature. So true. I, I mean, and just all the things that they're able to do to, you know, we, we use them in court now for children who yeah. need to testify, for example, or for people who are epileptic and the dog knows it's coming before the person even does. They're just such amazing animals. They they are just, it's no wonder we they just become part of our lives, part of our families, right? They are certainly part of our families, for sure. So that, uh, that caps off our health series. And again, you know, maybe that pet. I mean, if you don't have a pet and you felt some stress, maybe this is the weekend to decide which pet fits fits best in your family. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.